Today we're continuing our Wilderness Man series, Wilderness Men, and we're looking at stories in the Bible of these burly, crazy, outdoorsman type that we see all through the Bible, and in each one of their stories, God is teaching us a lesson about him or about life. And so we're in Wilderness Men. Today we're talking about one of the craziest men in the Bible. I really think he put the word wild in wilderness. This guy uh, is most famous for being really strong. He is very, very strong. You might have a clue who that might be, Um, but strength is something that we admire, isn't it? We look up the strength, we love, and, and we think most uh, instantly, you think about physical strength, right? Physical strength is something that we long for and we work hard for, we spend hours in the gym for, or you just sit and think like, I should really work out. Nope, <laughs> remote control. Uh, and back in 2002, I got to go to West Africa and spend two months in Ghana with a missionary there. Uh, his name's Jeff, Jeff's a great guy. Jeff's a great man of God. He has started dozens, dozens of churches in West Africa. He's been there for, um, I guess, close to 30 years now as a missionary. He grew up there as well uh, before that. And uh, man, great guy. There's a lot of good things I can say about him. But one thing I can say about Jeff is Jeff is, he's jacked. And what I mean is he's swole. Like he's huge, like he's ripped. Like this dude is ginormous. And one of his ministries to so many of these Ghanaian men and women is that he has a gym that he works out in. And so I spent two months with Jeff and I'm thinking, this is great. Like I'm gonna learn some missionary stuff and I'm gonna work out in this gym with Jeff. And he's like, I'm gonna get you on a plan. We're gonna get you all, we're all get you all jacked just like me. And he's got like veins on top of his veins, on top of his muscles, on top of his muscles. You know those guys? Like this is that guy. And so no wonder people are coming to Jesus because he just walks up like, all right, you wanna get baptized or what? And they're like, um, yeah, let's do that. Um, so that's a great evangelism tool. So I'm thinking we're gonna get in the gym and I'm hearing, Jim, this is fantastic. Uh, weight benches, you know, like like barbells, like dumbbells, like the treadmill, the little, you, you, the little, uh, uh, the a little elliptical thing. No, not, not in West Africa. That's not happening. Uh, first day of training, he says, okay, before we go out and do some preaching and some evangelism stuff today, I want you to come out to my gym. I'm like, yes. And we get out there and he goes, all right, here we are. I'm like, where's the gym? He's like, oh, this is it. Um, you see this pile of uh, boulders? Boulders. I'm thinking, they're like, they're like as big as you can hold. They're, they're like this big. See this pile of boulders? You see that ditch? All right, I want you to pick up these boulders one at a time and I want you to throw them over that ditch. What? Yeah, and then when you get done, I want you to throw them all back, put them back where you found them. I'm like, what? And so I'm like, I'm not going to do this. It's crazy. And of course, you know what I did? I, I did it because you don't mess with Jack Dub Jeff, the missionary. So I'm like, I'm throwing boulders. And like, that's how he starts us out. And we're just throwing boulders like all these days in a row. Uh, and here's the thing. Over the summer, I, I, I got stronger. I really did. The boulders were easier. We had just got to move on to some other things. But I never want to throw another boulder in my life. It was ridiculous. We do crazy things to find strength. Strength is something that we admire. But not just physical strength. I think there's like, there's a lot of different types of strength. Uh, my son's a Boy Scout and I'm a leader with his troop. And I love part of the Boy Scout oath. And they say that we will be uh, physically strong, mentally awake, and morally straight. That's part of the Boy Scout oath. Physically strong, mentally awake, morally straight. These are all different types of strength that we can aspire to. Strength is something that we admire. And so when you look through the Bible, you think, okay, I want to find some people in the Bible who can teach me how to do this. And we meet today's wilderness man. His name, you might have guessed, is Samson. Samson is famous for being super strong. Strong in physical strength, but as far as other things, not so much. Like he is super, super big. He's got this, he's got this, this strength, in it, but he just isn't very nice. He's not very humble. He's violent. And you look at a story like him and you're like, 
I, I gotta be honest, I've wrestled with this all week. Actually, for like three weeks, I've been wrestling with, what do you say about Samson? I wanted to teach about Samson. I, wanted to, I, I wanna unpack as much of the Bible as we can as a church. So I'm not gonna avoid Samson. But like I look at his story, I'm like, what can you say? What are we gonna model our lives after? You'll see as we get into his story, how true that is. Uh, if you've got a Bible, let's go ahead and flip there. We love to look to the Bible for the answers to life's most important questions. And we're going to be in the book of Judges, chapter 7. Judges is the seventh, not chapter 7. Judges is the seventh book of the Bible. We'll be in chapter 13. So Judges, chapter 13. Judges is an interesting place in Israel's history. Uh, remember, Israel is the nation uh, that God has chosen to eventually reveal himself to the world through. Jesus comes through the nation of Israel. Okay, so that's where Christianity even comes from. And so that's why the Israelites are a big part of our uh, teaching and they're a big part of our Christian Bibles. Two-thirds of our Bibles or more is filled with Old Testament stories of the nation of Israel. And at this time in history when Samson lived, uh, this was before they had a king, and so in terms of leadership, they had like priests and prophets who were their kind of religious leadership. But when it came to military and political stuff, God was raising up these leaders called judges. They don't picture the guy with the robe and the gavel and the old like British wig. This is like more like um, a warrior, more like a general, sometimes like a, like a private eye or, or like a James Bond character. Like they do all kinds of things to lead. And the judges were the heroes of Israel because they kept being oppressed by different nations and different situations. And then God would raise up a judge and he would let the judge lead them. Let's just read a couple of, uh, of moments here as we get into uh, Samson's story. This is Judges chapter 13. We'll start at verse 1. It says again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. This is the canvas with which Samson's life uh, gets to work with. The nation of Israel has fallen into kind of captivity by this nation, the Philistines. These guys, the Philistines, they were a neighboring nation to the south. They were a very military warrior people. They would uh, take over another nation by moving in and meshing with their culture and kind of, uh, kind of making their culture part of the culture of the captured people. That's a very common way that it, that it used to happen. The problem with this is these people did not worship the God of the Israelites. They worshiped several gods. Their main God was a God named uh, Dagon. And they had all kinds of immoral and terrible worship practices. Some of the gods they worshiped required ritual sacrifice of babies and others required all kinds of different uh, immoral things that they would do. And it was just, it was, it was bad. Their main god was a fertility god. So you can imagine the kind of like immoral worship that they would get into to kind of praise that god. And so there we have Israel. Now what's happened is Israel is in this state of captivity because God is gonna teach them about who he is. Over and over and over again, they fall into the worship of these false gods and they fall into different bad habits. And God's like, I'm raising you up to save the world. He has the plan to bring Jesus in. They don't know all that yet. But as they fall away, each time God says, okay, I'm gonna let you fall into the hands of an enemy again. But don't worry, I'm gonna get you out. And so he raises up a judge. And this is where we meet Samson. And the first thing we know about Samson is before he's born, something really cool happens. An angel comes to visit his mom. That'd be a pretty cool Mother's Day president. It might be terrifying. I'm not sure that, I don't know that you would really want that, that angel to actually show up to you, but it sounds sweet. The angel shows up to her. She hasn't been able to have any children, but she tells, the angel tells her in Judges chapter 13, verse five, you will become pregnant and you'll have a son whose head is to never be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. And he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hand of the Philistines. That's my boy. I'm proud of him. He's going to deliver us from the Philistines. And that is like the promise of this unborn baby. Now, the interesting thing about this uh, kind of prediction of his birth is the thing he said about not shaving his head. Did you catch that? 
He said, he will be born a Nazarite. Samson was to be a Nazarite. And a Nazarite is kind of a vow that some Jews would take. It wasn't mandatory. It was kind of an extracurricular thing you could do to kind of set yourself apart further for the service of God, mostly so that when people saw you, they would remember God. Uh, You know, when you drive down the road and you see someone dressed like the Statue of Liberty, what what does it make you think about? Tax season, yeah. When you go to a, a game and you see that there's like clearly two different color patterns that people are wearing and you're, you're on the, you know, the side with the, the blue and gold or whatever, you, you know, like these people are always pulling for this team. And so like the Nazarites, the Jews did this in a lot of ways, but the Nazarites particularly would have ways that they would set themselves apart so that when people saw them, they'd be like, well, that's different. And they would think about God. Three rules to be a Nazarite. It's actually a fairly simple, uh, fairly simple task list. Uh, number one, you would never cut your hair. And so that makes it easy, maybe kind of gross. I don't know. You never cut your hair. The second thing, never consume any alcohol. Now, this is a big deal because wine is probably the most prominent drink in that time. So can you imagine everywhere he goes, like, I'll just have water. I'll just have water. And if you've had a friend and you've been out and they've been drinking and there's one friend who's like, I'm not drinking right now. A lot of times there's a lady. It's like, ooh, are we expecting a baby, right? It's like, if if you're not doing what everybody else is doing, it stands out. And the purpose of this was to point them towards God. The third thing that the Nazarite would never do was have contact with a dead body, which again, this is like a third world country. It's ancient times. Stuff died. They had animals. They had things. You just, but he couldn't touch. And so those are the three things. No alcohol, no haircuts, no contact with dead bodies. Three simple rules. Samson was born with such great promise. Isn't that true about, I mean, all of us? Like these, these kids that were up here this morning, they got the world ahead of them. Anything could happen for them. Some of us are born with more advantages than others, but in a very real way, like we all kind of start in a similarly same place. There's promise, there's perspective. Here's the thing about Samson's life, okay? Throughout the book of Judges, there are a lot of judges that we meet and so many of them, their entire life story is summarized in like three sentences. And it's so easy to go through them like this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. There's some girls, boom, boom, boom. You get through all of them. Then you get to Samson. His life is four whole chapters of the Bible long. And they're long chapters. There's no way we can cover all the ground that we need to cover to get all of Samson's life done today. But here's what I want to do for us today. We want to talk about what it means to find strength. And we want to see from a man who definitely had some physical strength, what we can learn about the strength of God by skipping a rock through the story of his life. Like, what can we find? What little details do we see? The first thing we see about Samson, Judges chapter 14, this is verses one and two. We see that he's got a little crush on a girl, a little Philistine girl. Samson went down to Timnah and he saw a young Philistine woman. And when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now go get her for me as my wife. That's an interesting way to say that. Uh, Well, this is the point where all the little Jewish kids, if they were heard in the story, would go, a Philistine woman? The Philistines, you remember, are the oppressive nation that's like holding them basically captive right now. They also don't worship the God of the Jews. This is a really big deal. And so, of course, his mom and dad are like, Samson, honey, couldn't you find a nice Israelite girl, you know, to hook up with? And he's like, no, I want that one. And that's not even a paraphrase. That's exactly how it goes down in the Bible. And so they allow it to happen. Uh, An interesting thing happens there in, in verse four of that chapter. It actually says, God allowed this because he was looking for an opportunity to confront the Israelites. I mean, to confront the Philistines. Pretty interesting. God, God actually is going to allow what seems like a bad parenting decision to work out. Good news, parents. If you have no idea what you're doing and you want to join the club that I started called, I have no idea how to be a parent, but I'm figuring it out every day. God can still work with your bad decisions, okay? And this is going to happen with Samson as well. 
Samson's main role in life was to be the person who is going to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. This is important to understand because as we skip the rock through Samson's life, there are gonna be some stories that we just can't deal with. He's gonna do some violent things. He's gonna do some evil things. And all along, it seems like God is helping him. And you're like, why would God help with this bad stuff? A, I think the Samson could have done things better. B, God had a bigger mission and he's gonna do it with or without Samson doing it the right way. And so that's a, that's a lesson we can learn. I gotta tell you a truth about Samson. I don't like Samson. I don't like him at all. He's a jerk. He's mean. He's violent. He ends up being a murderer. I would not let him babysit my kids. I, would not let, I wouldn't want him to be a roommate in my house. Like, I wouldn't want any of that. I wouldn't say that to his face because um, that would be dangerous. But God is gonna work through Samson and do something kind of incredible. It's interesting. So let's skip that rock through his life. Okay, Judges 14. We're gonna stay in 14 for a minute. In verse eight, we find out uh, he's gonna go visit this girl, okay? The, the, the girl he wants to marry. And along the way, he encounters a lion. A lion jumps out and attacks him. And look at this verse. We're gonna go back. I think I have it here. Yeah, Judges 14, verse six. It says, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he, don't just brush by this. This is huge. So that he, tore the lion apart with his bare hands. And I love this next thing. As he might have torn a young goat, you know, like you do, tear young goats. And he told neither his father nor his mother. This is crazy. Have you ever seen a lion? Have you ever been to the zoo? Like lions are big. Like when they're full grown, they're like six feet long without their tail. They're like 400 pounds. They are vicious. They are ferocious. Lion pounces on Samson while he's walking down the road and like an old bed sheet. Tears it in half. Now, he's gonna go off, he's gonna brag about this. It's kind of a punk move by him. But did you notice what, what the passage I just read said about that? Look at verse six. Who caused him to have the strength to do that? God. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him. This is a theme. Make a note of that. Okay. And then Samson starts to go crazy. Uh, there, there's kind of like these big exploits. Uh, did you notice as he did that, he didn't tell his mom and dad? I think that's a key detail. When you read through the Old Testament passages and you see something that seems really weird, we try to explain it and understand it and like make sense of it. Here's, here's what is true almost 100% of the time, especially in the Old Testament. If you see something that jumps out to you and you're like, why is that there? It's there for a very specific reason. The writer is trying to draw something. He didn't tell his mom and dad about this. We're gonna find out some more about that in just a second. Let's just skip some more through his life. So uh, this is gonna be in chapter 14, verse eight through nine. So sometime later, he went back to marry the girl. He turned aside to look at the lion's carcass because it's like, dude, what are that lion still here? <laughs> and it is. And in it, he saw a swarm of bees and some honey and he scooped out the honey with his hand and he ate it as he went along. And when he rejoined his parents, he gave them some honey and they too ate it. But he did not tell them he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Again, this is a specific point that's there. It seems weird, but he didn't tell his parents about it. Um, contacting a dead body. You remember a vow that his mom kind of agreed with the angel that they would have him take? He'd be a Nazarite. Three rules. No haircut, no alcohol, no contact with dead bodies. Scratch one of those off the list. He's done that. Keep on going. We're going to skip ahead. This is the verse 10 in Judges 14. So now his father went down to see the woman, and this, this is the woman he was going to marry, and there Samson had a feast as was customary for young men. Our American minds, we skip right over that. We're like, feast, 4th of July, it's gonna be great. There's probably gonna be hot dogs. No, a Philistine feast uh, is code word for drinking party, okay? It's a big wedding celebration. It's probably gonna last like two weeks or a month. They're gonna throw down, okay? And so this is a big, big thing. Uh, this, is, this is just, it doesn't say that Samson drank any alcohol, 
But this is a weird detail to add to the story if it wasn't for purpose. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say he probably got smashed. And while he's there, uh, we realize that touched a dead body, most likely had alcohol then. And we're going to find out if you read the rest of the story, you're like, I'm pretty sure this guy was drinking a lot because he's also got some other issues. He's got lack of self-control. He's broke two of the three parts of his vow. Good news though, guys, still hasn't had a haircut. Now, uh, in this whole process, it keeps saying that he didn't tell his parents. And as I read through that and read between the lines and start to study other commentaries and things like that, I step aside and I realize something. There's something about Samson's life here that I think we can all learn from already. He hasn't even done some of the coolest things that he's gonna do. Samson wants the rest of the world to believe that he's still good with God. I mean, think about it. If you see a Nazarite, what's the first way you're gonna know? Long hair. A lot of artists depict Nazarites with dreadlocks, especially uh, Samson. And so I love that. I love picturing him with these awesome dreadlocks. And, and, and you see him like, oh man, that guy must be holy. Man, he must be good. They don't have to know what he's doing in his personal life. They don't have to know what's going on in his heart as long as he looks the part. And isn't that something that we find ourselves doing a lot? You ever miss a week at church and your friend was like, hey, uh, Hey, I missed you. And you were like, oh, yeah, yeah. I was, because uh, I, I went to church with another friend and we, I watched a sermon online and I listened to a podcast. Because you want to make sure that they know, like, yeah, I mean, I haven't forgot about church. Like, I'm doing church. I'm doing church now. Or maybe you are here every week. Maybe you, you, you never miss. But is it possible that sometimes on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you never think about God again? And during the week, we say something like, we love to look to the, the Bible for answers to life's most important questions. And in the seat right now, you're thinking, I should read my Bible. That's right. But we don't touch it again for six more days. And how different is that than us just keeping our long hair? You know, God is all the time saying, listen, you honor me with your lips and your actions, but your heart is far from me. And this is what's going on in Samson's life. Our spiritual enemy loves to make strong people weak. And the way he does that is to make it feel like and look like we're serving God when we're not. And that's what Samson's got going on here. Just jump back into the story. We're going to skip that rock pretty hard now, okay? Um, uh, some things happen where he goes down to his wife's new area and he's making some friends with him and he has this little weird uh, bet with the guys and it doesn't work out and he loses the bet. They kind of cheat, actually. They cheat to win the bet and he gets upset about it. And you know, normally like when you lose a game or like uh, if your team loses, um, you normally are like, oh man, like that was bad. You know what Samson does? He goes off and kills 30 people because he's angry. Yeah, suddenly we see a different side of Samson come out. Look at this verse, though. This is where it gets a little bit, kind of gets crazy. Verse 19 of chapter 14. It says, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 of their men. Is it good to kill 30 people? No. no. But who gave, God, who gave Samson the power to do this? I don't know. There's a lot of parts of the Bible where you're just like, I just got to weigh this out. I'm not sure what's happening right here, but that's what happens. But Samson takes full credit he goes around talking smack like, you see what I did to those other 30 guys? The story keeps going. Uh, and he's feeling pretty good about himself. Like, you know what? I can tear a lion apart with my bare hands. I can kill 30 men all by myself. Don't even need like any weapons or anything. You skip ahead to chapter 15. He's approached uh, by a group of his own people who are like, Samson, you are really making the Philistines mad because he keeps on doing some other things that are making the Philistines mad. And they're like, Samson, can you just go turn yourself into the Philistines? Because you're making it rough on the rest of the Israelite nation. Like they're oppressing us even harder now. Samson hears them. He's like, you know what? Okay, 
Okay, I'll, I'll give up. So he lets them tie him up, and he walks to the Philistine camp. And as he's going, I just imagine Samson's, his like, I don't know, his anger side, his muscle man side starts to come back out on him. And as he approaches the camp, look again and be on the screen here. This is in chapter 15, starting at verse 14. It says, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. Where did the power come from? God. It says, the ropes on his arms became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hands. And f- let's not rush past this sentence. Finding the fresh jawbone of a donkey. That one looks fresh. He grabbed it. And he struck down, can y'all see this? How many people? A thousand men? We're not talking about a street brawl anymore. That is an army of people. Now, there's a lot of debate over like, was it actually a thousand men, like literally, or is this just the author's way of saying it was a whole lot of people? I'm not gonna get into that debate. My thing is like, with the jawbone of a donkey? This guy is having melee rampage with something he found on the ground? Is it okay to kill a thousand people? Please say no. (laughs) But where did the power come from? It's crazy. God gives him the power to do it. Well, where does he give praise? Where does he give credit? Well, of course, Samson's gonna take full credit. He makes up this this cute little song about it. Judges 15, 16. You guys can make this a top 40 hit someday. With the jawbone, sorry. With the donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With the donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. Um, it's funnier in the King James. You should look that up. Um, but he's walking around and he's like, look what I did. Look what I did. You guys talk back to me. Where did he get the power to do this? God. Who is he giving credit to? Himself. You see why I don't like Samson? You see why it's hard to read his story and be like, why is he even in the Bible in the first place? Well, finally, uh, finally, he, he moves on and some other things happen and it's been years later. He ends up ruling, uh, kind of leading the nation of Israel in various ways. I'm not sure how he does it. It doesn't say in the Bible. But it kind of comes to his last chapter of his life and we find that he's got himself another wife. Her name is Delilah, the famous Samson and Delilah story. And in this story, the, the Philistines come to Delilah and they say, listen, if you can find the strength, the, the secret of Samson's strength, if you will please find out, like, We'll pay you well for it. We need, we need to take this guy out. And she uses her feminine ways. And I love that the way she actually finally gets through to him. It says that uh, she nagged him until he couldn't stand it anymore. Everyone has superpowers, okay? And that's definitely one. She nags this Superman uh, into telling her what he believes is the source of his strength. You look at it in Judges chapter 16, uh, 17, I think. And he says, it says, he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said because I have been a Nazarite, dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. You know what's interesting here? We read the story, and we saw the little subcaptions and stuff. Where has he been getting all of his strengths all this time? Tell me. From God, from the Lord. Where does he believe his strength is coming from? His hair. More specifically, he told her, I'm a Nazarite. Did you know I'm a Nazarite? The reason I'm so strong is because I'm a Nazarite. There are three rules to being a Nazarite. He is obviously not caring about his vows as a Nazarite, but as far as he's concerned, because I looked the part, I'm playing the game. I'm a Nazarite. I just imagine God in this moment going, okay, all right, fine. If you know what's happening, you know why, because here's what goes down. She sets a trap for him. And while he's asleep, she cuts off his, his braids, 
That's why a lot of people think he had dreadlocks. I think he'd be awesome with dreadlocks. And he cuts off his braids, and then she says, Samson, Samson, they're coming. They're going to get you. Uh, let's look at verse 20. This is Judges 16, verse 20. She called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. So he awoke from his sleep, and he thought, well, I'll go out as before, and I'll shake myself free. But he did not know. This is heavy. The Lord had left him. You know, strength is something that we admire, but at this point, Samson is nothing to be admired. He gets dragged off by the Philistines. They make him a prisoner. They chain him up. It says they gouge his eyes out. They start to put him to work like a pack mule, and they humiliate him. He's nothing to admire. And you look back at his life, and you're like, man, this guy had so much potential. He could have done so much for God. I said I didn't like Samson. But the more I struggled with this story this week, I realized something. Samson's story is my story. I think the more you listen, the more you might realize Samson's story is your story too. Because there have been seasons in my life where I have not been a person that you would like. And I have had moments where though I looked the part, my heart was far from God. And there have been seasons of my life when I've let my anger or some other vice get a control of me and I do things that do not honor God. Samson's story is my story for two reasons. And the first one is because I know that I've had great potential and I've dropped the ball. But you know what the second reason is? Because just like Samson, I took a vow. It's kind of like a vow. I said, I want to be a Christian. I want to live for Jesus. I want to serve him with my life. You know what happens when someone does that? Let's look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said this. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. What spirit? The same spirit that gave Samson power. In fact, the book of Romans teaches us the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That if you will turn your life over to Jesus... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And he tells his disciples there, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I took a vow. And anytime anything good happens in my life, I gotta be willing to say that wasn't me. That was God doing that. And just like Samson, me and you, if you call yourself a Christian this morning, we have a mission. Samson's mission in life as crazy as it seems to our pacifist, uh, peacemaking, unity-driven uh, American minds, his mission was to destroy the Philistines. That's hard for us to handle and manage, and maybe you need to chew on that. You might be here for the first time this morning, like, hold on, see, this is why I don't like God. This is the stuff he does. But here's the thing. The reason that God set that mission is because he knew that he had a plan through the nation of Israel to save the whole world. Because people like the Philistines were oppressing everybody. And you go through history and check off the list. Check, 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 check. Nation after nation after nation. They rule by fear. They rule by pain. They rule by suffering. And then when Christ comes as king, he says, no. I teach you to rule by humility. I teach you to rule by, by servant attitude, by love, through charity, to give grace. And so... Jesus has a mission for us too. Except instead of destroying a nation, he said, I want you to go to the nations and I want you to tell people about my love. 
Because I'm done making way for my message by sending people like judges to come knock down kings. No, because I'm the king now. The king above all kings, the name above all names, the throne greater than all thrones. And you, my people, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes into your life. Guys, I think that the story of Samson is like the story of our church. We got this slogan we throw around, church for people who don't like church. It might be why you're here today. I know a lot of our people who have been here for months and years are like, this is why I love our church. Because we recognize that we're not perfect. We don't have our act together. My story is Samson's story, much as I hate to admit it. But God has a plan and a purpose for his people. And that even in our brokenness, this is crazy. Do you realize that I have sinned in the last five years since we started this church? And many of you look to me as a pastor and are like, man, if only, if only we could all get our life together like this pastor or that pastor. Guys, don't, don't get your life together like me. <laughs> I'm figuring it out day by day. Those of you who know me best are like, look, I'm leaning as much as I can on the grace of Jesus. I'm trying to seek his power, but check this out. What I know is that over 40 people have given their life to Jesus in baptism through this church, regardless of how well I was doing it, regardless of how good I was like living the life. And I want to tell you, as as a leader of this church, I do my best to stay pure and be holy, but I'm not perfect. And that's what God did with Samson. He said, look, I sent you to deliver the nation from the Philistines. I'm going to do that regardless of how you behave yourself. What if Samson had done things God's way differently? Could he have raised a mighty army? Could have Israel's history have been completely different because instead of leading by his reign of terror, he rises up a group of people that he leads in a different way. I don't know. We'll never know. But God says, I'm, I'm going to get my purpose fulfilled with you or without you. Here's the message for us today in the lesson from the wild. It is so much better when God can do it with us. So much better for you. So much better for me. So much better for him. He loves us. He wants more than anything to partner with us to put the world back together. And the message that we have for the world is not, hey, look, God is coming to burn the place down, but God has got hope for you. He can restore your marriage. He can help you fight this addiction that you're dealing with. He can make you find purpose in your job that you hate. But you gotta get to know him. And here's the coolest thing. You know how God helps people to get to know him? The apostle John said, well, they will know you are Christians by your love. The way that people can get to know God is through us. Even when we're messed up. God has a God of second chances. The very end of Samson's life after he's, you know, got his eyes gouged out and he's in chains. He has this moment. I just picture him in a dungeon or cell or something. I don't know where he was, a cage maybe. And he's about to be paraded around in front of all the other Philistine leaders, all the dignitaries. Anybody who was anybody had gathered together at this grand, grand temple of Dagon and they were gonna celebrate to their God Dagon that we have defeated the champion of the Israelites that say that they have the one true God. And as he knows that moment is approaching, I just picture this moment. We don't have it in the Bible, but I'm trying to put the pieces together. I just picture this moment where he's sitting there, can't see, he's sitting in literal darkness and he's like, what have I done? God had a plan for my life. What have I done? God, I know you wanted to fulfill more through me than you did. More than just a few skirmishes where I knocked some people out and killed a few Philistines. You wanted me to take out their reign. When I'm in this building with like everybody who's anybody in Philistine, in, in the Philistine nation, 
maybe I could do something now. And he does something that is wild. He goes into the room. It says they were all waiting for him to be paraded around. And he says to the servant who's leading them, hey, can you, can you lead me up against one of the pillars of this building? And, of course, the servant's like, yeah, you old sap, tired or something, gets him over there. And it says he takes his hands and he puts them on different pillars of the building. And he says a prayer. And he said, Lord, take my life with these Philistines' lives because I want to have your purpose done in my life. And he pushes with all his might. And it says the strength of the Lord came back to him. The building collapsed. Don't get hung up on the building collapsing. That's, that's actually what got me stuck this week because I don't like that part of the story. I'm like, what in the world? That's between the Philistines and God, okay? We get so caught up on everybody else's business between them and God that we forget to deal with our business between us and God, okay? You can wrestle with that like I have for the last several days. But in Samson's heart, he said, I gotta return to the source of my strength. I know that every week there are groups of us who sit in darkness And we're like, what have I done? Where have I been? And maybe you're not to the point where you just have nothing left but just to to say, this this is, I'm done. Like, my life is over. Maybe you're feeling suicidal. I mean, these are serious things that go through our minds. But the biggest lesson I learned from Samson's life, I think, is that God is a God of second chances. Because of the grace of Jesus, as we sit at the bottom of the bucket, he says, look, I still got purpose for you, but will you return to me for strength? And I've seen it happen so many times that from the bottom, God allows someone to begin to climb back out. So often, some of the people that we look to in the kingdom of God who are leaders have been at the bottom. And God has not only helped them get out, but has risen them above so that they could tell their story. And so maybe that's where you are. You just need to tell your story. Don't let people look around you and say, look, I got the dreadlocks, I'm good. Now tell them, like, look, I've fallen. <laughs> I've messed up, but this is how God has helped me climb out. Because someone in this room needs to hear that story, and someone at your work needs to hear that story, and someone in your neighborhood needs to hear that story. My story is Samson's story. God is the God of second chances, and if I go to him, he will give me power to get to this life and to share his message with the world. I think that's the message from the wild this week. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to hear your story and to hopefully be obedient to it, God. It's just very rarely that we get to uh, be so honest, acknowledge our faults and failures. But God, as we do that today, I just pray that we can, we can know that you're the source of our strength. You're the source of our forgiveness and our grace and help us to extend that to the world. Lord, we love you so much. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.